Why don't you turn to Zechariah chapter 12, please? Zechariah, we're going to look at all 14 verses. And the message is entitled, The Siege and Deliverance of Jerusalem. Zechariah's name means Yahweh remembers. And the central message of the book is God's love for Jerusalem and Zion. Um, there are two key verses. Listen to Zechariah 1.14. So the angel who spoke with me said to me, Proclaim, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the captain of the armies of heaven. I am zealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with great zeal. The second one is Zechariah 8.2. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, again the captain of the armies of heaven, I am zealous for Zion and great zeal and great fervor. I am zealous for her. God loves Jerusalem, Zion. Jerusalem is mentioned in the scriptures more than any other city, 776 times in the Bible. It appears 42 times in Zechariah and 12 times in this chapter alone. Jerusalem has different forms, but basically um, it means foundation or possession of peace and sometimes called the city of peace. It is kind of ironic since no other city in its history of the world has experienced so little peace. Um, some have calculated Jerusalem has been seized some 27 to 30 times since her existence. Yet the worst day of Jerusalem is still in the future during the period of great tribulation under the rule of the Antichrist, which is exactly the context that our chapter is in towards the end. God is not through with Israel, and Jerusalem will experience the future peace only when the Prince of Peace has come and sets up the thousand-year reign. Um, God told Jeremiah, listen closely, Thus saith the Lord, you... If you can break the covenant with the day and my covenant with the night, so that there will not be the day and night in their season, then my covenant may also be broken with David, my servant, so that he shall not have a son to reign on his throne, and with the Levites, the priests, and my ministers. Jeremiah 33, 20-21. Did you hear that? If the sun wouldn't have come up this morning, then you can say, God is through with Israel. How is it that churches and pastors can teach that God is through with Israel and the church is now spiritual Israel called replacement theology? Completely unbiblical. Completely unbiblical. And yet it's taught all over the place. I would say 99% of the church and colleges teach this. Wow. What we want to do is look at the sneak preview here that Zechariah provides for us about the siege of the city of Jerusalem at the second coming of the Messiah. So he's dealing with Israel. Let me read here chapter 12. And then we'll break it up. Verse 1 says. The burden of the word of the Lord against Israel. Thus saith the Lord. Who uh, stretches out the heavens. Lays the foundation of the earth. And forms the spirit of man within him. Behold I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness. To all the sur surrounding people. When they lay siege against Jerusalem and Jerusalem. Or Judah and Jerusalem. And it shall happen in that day that I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all peoples. All who would heave it away will surely be cut in pieces, though all nations of the earth are gathered against it. In that day, says the Lord, I will strike every horse with confusion and its riders with madness. I will open my eyes on the house of Judah and will strike every horse of the people with blindness. And the governors of Judah shall say in their heart, the inhabitants of Jerusalem are my strength and the Lord of hosts their God. In that day I will make the governors of Judah like a fire pan in the woodpile and like a fire torch in the sheaves. They shall devour all the surrounding peoples in the right hand and the left hand, but Jerusalem shall be inhabited again in her own place. Jerusalem. The Lord will sure will save the tents of um, Judah first so that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the hands of Jerusalem shall not become greater than that of Judah. In that day, the Lord will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the one who is feeble among them. In that day shall be like David, and the house of David shall be like God, like the angel of the Lord before them. It shall be in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem my spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me, whom they have pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. In that day, there shall be a great 
morning in Jerusalem like the morning of Hadad Rimon in the plain of Megiddo. And the land shall mourn every family by itself, the family of the house of David by itself and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Nathan by itself and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Levi by itself and their wives by themselves, the family of Shimei by itself and their wives by themselves, all the families that remain, every family by itself and their wives by themselves. So the sneak preview that Zechariah gives us about the siege of Jerusalem is a battle towards the end of the tribulation, the great tribulation, right before Jesus comes back. And it consists of three things. First, you have the proclamation over Israel, verse 1 through 3. Second, you have the intervention for Israel, God's intervention for Israel, verse 4 through 9. And thirdly, God's conversion of Israel, 10 through 14. We begin with God's proclamation over Israel, 1 through 3. Notice verse 1. The prophet Zechariah revealed the judgment against Israel. Mark it well. The prophecy is introduced as the burden of the word of the Lord. We've looked at this word before, burden. Um, it means oracle of judgment. The idea of that which is weighty or heavy and needs to be lifted up, proclaimed. Um, the first one we've seen in chapter 9, verse 1, is against the enemies of Israel. This one's against Israel. Now, the source and origin, notice there in verse 1, of the judgment is the word of the Lord, Yahweh, not the prophets. He's simply the instrument. The word Lord, as you know, capital is the covenant of God, Yahweh, the one who they made a covenant with at Mount Sinai, coming out of Egypt in Exodus 24. Notice the judgment is against Israel during the end of the Great Tribulation. So it's important to put a context to this so we know where we're at. Because sometimes people take scriptures out of context and apply them for today when they're not for today. Now, we can apply them in principle if it's happening, but it's not the context for today. This is the end towards the end of the Tribulation period, the Great Tribulation. The time Zechariah was speaking about was the present return of the reconciliation from the Babylonian captivity. The time Zechariah is referring to here in our text is the future, the most horrible time that Israel is ever going to go through under the rulership of the Antichrist. Daniel spoke about it, Daniel 12.1. Listen to what he says. He says, at that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone who is found written in the book of life. Your people. The Bible is not politically correct. Your people is the Jews. You can't apply it to no one else. It's very, very clear. Jeremiah calls it Jacob's trouble in Jeremiah 30, verse 7. To mark the whole seven years. The last seven years, last three and a half, bad. Horrible. Now, Look at verse 1 still. The authority and the credentials behind the revealed judgment is of the highest. Okay? Because um, some people get mad at God when he declares judgment that. Well, who does he think he is? And God's just playing games with Listen, he knows all things. He's all present. He's all knowing. He cannot make mistakes. What's your problem? Thus saith the Lord, the covenant God. Just like you, your parents can confront you because they gave you life. Your wife can confront your husband. Good friends. Here God is confronting them. The credentials are impressive. Listen to them. The one who stretches out the heavens. He's involved. Literally expanding and extending the heavens. The thinned out space in space last night was smaller than it is this morning. It's bigger this morning. Constantly expanding. Seafloor spreading goes from the middle out. All these things we know scientifically, accurate. They're not myths or suggestions. The one who lays the foundation of the earth, he created it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1-1 says. Out of nothing, he spoke them into being. Then he shaped and molded them. He created all things in heaven, earth, visible, invisible. Uh, thrones, dominions, powers. All things were created for him and to him. Colossians 1, 16 and 17. The third credential is one who forms the spirit of man within him. The soul indicates the intellect, the emotion, and the wills that we're able to communicate ourselves. Not being a Christian, we're ruled by that. Our body's uppermost. The body's just the instrument. So our intellect, emotion, and will rules our life. We live on the emotional plane. But it's the spirit of man that, that makes us trichotomous. It's dead, but when we're born again, now it's made alive, and we're turned right side up. 
Now we're not living our lives just for the physical, not by our emotions, but by what we know. When people talk to even Christians today, they say, how, you, how, do, how do you feel? I don't care how you feel. I want to know, what do you know? Let your feelings catch up to what you know about God. Your emotions will deceive you. And if you're a lady, forget it. You're gone. You better have an anchor. The word of God. This is his credentials. Do you think he's qualified to bring the judgment? Wow. You breathe into the, the spirit of man, the breath of life. Genesis 1, 26, 2, 7. A living soul. Now notice the prophet Zechariah revealed the confederacy against Israel and the dire consequences in verse 2 and 3. In 2, the prophecy declared God will bring about this confrontation. God calls attention emphatically to his initial uh, or the initiation against the city. He says, behold, I will make Jerusalem. The word behold indicates pay attention. Mark it well. It's the cup. This is a simile. A simile is always introduced like or as. Those are the two words. It doesn't mean that it is that, but it's like that, a comparison. Literally, a bowl or a basin or a goblet, not just a little cup. And the idea is of coming to drink her up, to do away with her. So God says the effect of the cup, it's of drunkenness. Look at that. Drunkenness is a metaphor for weakness and inability to stand. Literally, a cup of reeling. When you used to be in the world, you get drunk. You didn't walk very straight. Okay? You're under the influence. All right? This is the idea here. They're intoxicated, but to their own destruction. This will prompt her enemies to be confident they will be able to defeat and destroy Israel. But the cup of drunkenness in reality is God's cup of judgment on them. They themselves will end up being destroyed, reeling, staggering. Wow. Notice God identifies the people involved to all the surrounding peoples. When they lay siege against Judah and Jerusalem, those who have come against her, who are around her. This is the southern part of Israel in the city of David. Jerusalem. Jeremiah prophesied about the cup of God's wrath for the nations in Jeremiah 25. They would drink it first through the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. In the last days, they will drink it by God. Read the book of Revelation. Very clear. Look at three. God will allow the siege only to turn it to be the destruction of the nations. God will cause Israel to stand. Listen to the words. And it shall happen in that day, key word, that day, that I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all people. That day appears seven times in this chapter. Verse 3, 4, 6, 8, 2 times, 9, and 7. The very heavy stone means immovable, resulting in their own hurt, overconfidence, trusting in self. All the nations involved, God will destroy them. All who would heave it away will surely be cut in pieces. The word there, heave, means to cut in pieces. It's the exact same word as the phrase, We'll be done, we'll cut in pieces. <laughs> it's the same word but translated differently. The destruction they would think to do to Jerusalem ends up their own demise by the hand of God. God will give the victory, though all the nations of the earth are gathered against Israel. In spite of their hatred, in spite of their military ability, in spite of their confidence, in spite of being outnumbered, God gives the victory over them. Wow. You remember Jesus wept as he pronounced judgment over Jerusalem and the nation of Israel once. In Luke 21, 31, uh, 41 through 42, it says, Now as he drew near, he saw the city and he wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the very day that Zechariah 9, 9 told him he would come, 
the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Because they rejected their Messiah. And he said, you should not see me henceforth till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's the second coming. That's what we read in our text. Wow. Almost 2,000 years to this day. In 1948, only a few years after World War II ended, the full horror of the Holocaust was realized. And the world approved the new state of Israel and the last British high commander, General Allenby, left um, um, the Jewish Prime Minister, David Grion, and declares Israel as an independent state. The USA, the USSR, and many others recognize um, it officially. And on the same day, Arab nations attacked. Cracked British-trained Arab troops pounced on Israel from Transjordan, Iraq, Syria, Lebanon, and Egypt. The world expecting the Jews to be destroyed in a few days, being outnumbered and outarmed. Instead, they triumphed and gained territory. By the signing of the treaty in 1949, Israel occupied the continuous block of land from Lebanon to Negev, especially the West Bank region, the Gaza Strip. Now, General Allenby, the British general, when he was there, Britain used to say, The sun never sets on the English Empire. After they betrayed, they trained the Arabs. They knew the men that they left to attack Israel. England has been reduced to one little island. You do not mess with Israel, ladies and gentlemen. You fight with God. Pray for our president. Did he stand behind Israel, but not try to make it a two-party state? You do not divide the land. It belongs to the people. We're going to see this, okay? The people, what people? The Jews. 1959, Egyptian President Nasser nationalized the Suez Canal and blocked the Straits of Tehran. Israel um, took the Gaza Strip and the Sinai Peninsula, which it returned eventually to Egypt. Russian um, took a strong pro-Arab and anti-Israeli stance. In 1967, President of Egypt, Nasser, blocked entry to the Jewish port of Eilat and invited other Arab nations to help him wage war on Israel. The Arabs were heavily supported by Russia with about 547,000 armed troops, 504 tanks, and 957 fighter aircraft, while the Jews had 264,000 troops, 800 tanks, and 300 combat aircraft, mostly from the U.S., Yet, on June 5, 1967, the Six-Day War, Israeli planes launched a preemptive strike on the airbase of Egypt, Jordan, Syria, and Iraq, eliminating much of the enemy air power. After taking the entire Sinai Peninsula and all the land to the Jordan River, Egypt and Jordan worked out a ceasefire on, on, on June 8. Uh, Israel captured the buffer zone over the Golan Heights and regained control of the city of Jerusalem for the very first time. Amazing. First time in 2,000 years the Jews could go to the Wailing Wall. In good faith and peaceful intentions, General Moshe Dayan gave the Temple Mount to the King of Jordan in 1994. Jordan turned it over to the PLO, the openly terrorist organization. 1973, on the Day of Atoma, Yom Kippur, the holiest day of the Jewish calendar, Egypt and Syria launched another surprise attack on Israel in which Israel once again triumphed. We can go on and on. The attacks of Hezbollah on Lebanon, firing hundreds of Katusha rockets, missile sites located in hospitals and schools, Al-Qaeda, ISIS, so on and so forth, let alone the nation of Iran who has sworn to destroy every Jew and push him off the face of the earth. Jesus wept. If you would have known this your day, the things were prepared for you. Wow. This is God's proclamation over Israel. Second comes the intervention for Israel in verse 4 through 9. 
In 4 and 5, the prophet Zechariah revealed God will weaken the enemy. God repeats the time um, so that the prophecy is not misinterpreted in that day. Okay? You as a parent do that with your child when they're little. Now, this is that. This is the same thing. This is that. This is the key phrase in chapter 12 through 14. It appears seven times in this chapter. One time, chapter 13, seven times in 14. This day is not a 24-hour day, but a period of time with many events in it. It's called the day of the Lord. It's called um, the tribulation and great tribulation that will lead into the millennial kingdom. And many events that are recorded in the book of Revelation will take place. Now, God will supernaturally intervene against the enemy during the battle. Look at verse 4. The authority is directly from the mouth of God, says the Lord Yahweh. He alone predicts the future. No man can. The impairment to the enemy is specific. I will strike every horse with confusion and its rider with madness. Ezekiel 38, 39, the Cossacks come down on horses also. So don't raise your eyes, okay? <laughs> there will be tanks, everything else, but mark it well. The word confusion means astonishment, bewilderment. In other words, they expect so much, they're salivating. And God rips that steak right off their mouth and breaks their teeth in their mouth. There are many of these things recorded where God fights for Israel in the book of Judges and Samuel and so many other books. Notice the vigilance, watchfulness by God for his people will be constant to defend them. Listen to his words. I will open my eyes on the house of Judah and will strike every horse of the peoples with blindness. Psalm 66, 7 says, He ruled by His power forever. His eyes observe the nations. Do not let the rebellious exalt themselves. Selah. Meditate. Ponder what I'm saying. <laughs> this book points back to history. This took place in the city of Dothan. When the Syrian army went looking for Elijah because he was leaking the military tactical uh, strategy information against Syria. And so when the, the uh, servant of Elijah went out there, he saw the Syrian army, freaked out. Lord, I lost my master, we're dead. Elijah says, Lord, open this guy's eye. He opens his eyes. He sees the flaming cherubim. All the angels says, those that are with us are more than those that are with them. And then God struck the entire Syrian army with blindness. Do you believe this stuff? God sent one little angel out there, killed 250,000 frontline Assyrian troops, bad dudes, one night. Wow. Look at five. God will be the complete confidence of the leaders. So he will impair the enemy. Now he deals with the leaders. Complete confidence of the leaders in God for the battle and in the battle. Their trust will be genuine to lead the people. Listen, and the governors of Judah will say in their hearts, the word heart speaks of the person's character, loyalty, faithfulness, genuineness. They're not playing games. Now, right now, Israel, the Jews, they don't believe in Jesus Christ. They have no basis for their sin. There's no temple. There's no sacrifices. They're just religious. For the most part, most of them are secular. Their genuineness here is evident by their word. The inhabitants of Jerusalem are my strength in the Lord of hosts, their God. In other words, those governing confirm their trust in each person as strengthened for the battle because they are looking to God. Just as God said in the last day, he would pour out his spirit upon all flesh for Israel towards the end of the tribulation. The Lord of hosts, the captain of the armies of heaven, is their God who will enable and empower them in and through the battle. This chapter, we get no other place where all these specifics are given centering on Jerusalem. Look at verse 6 and 7. The prophet Zechariah revealed God will honor the leader's faith for the battle. The genuineness, now their faith, their trust in him. God will make the leaders a devastating weapon in his hands. The repeated context is, in that day, prior to the second coming when Jerusalem is attacked, the repeated emphasis of his divine empowerment to make them victorious is stated, I will make the governors 
of Judah. I will. The illustration is by the use of two metaphors of a consuming fire. I will make the governors of Judah like a fire pan in the wood pile. You don't put a fire pan in the wood pile. Gone. And like a fiery torch in the sheaves. These are called similes introduced by the word like or as. It doesn't mean they are, but there's a comparison so you get understand, you get the picture. Notice the victorious outcome is certain. They shall devour all the surrounding peoples on the right hand and on the left. The enemy will be defeated at their dismay. The people of God will be victorious by their trust and dependency upon God. Just as you and I have to depend upon the Lord for the difficulties of life. But this is quite different. This is the, the time of great tribulation. This is under the Antichrist. This is where he tolerates nobody except his own worship. He controls everybody. You don't take his mark, he cuts your head off. Now who, who around is cutting heads off today? Oops. The city of Jerusalem will survive and be the capital of the world in the kingdom age. Listen, he mentions the millennium. But Jerusalem shall be inhabited again in her own place. That's the millennium. It'll be the religious, political center of the world. People don't like it. They have to suck it up. That's just the way it is. This is the end of the great tribulation. The battle of Armageddon follows. Look at verse 7. God will work in such a way that he alone will get the glory. The priority of the battle is Jerusalem. The Lord Yahweh will save the tent of Judah first. There will be no human boasting or exaltation, he says, so that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem shall not become greater than that of Judah no longer this rivalry, but it's the trust in the Lord as one nation. No lost tribes, no north, no south, one. They're in the land right now, but they're not back with God yet. The Spirit of God has to be poured out upon them. Now look at verse 8 and 9. The prophet Zechariah revealed God will enable the people. So he impairs the enemy. He equips and enables the leaders, now the people. God will provide divine protection for the individuals. And in that day, the Lord Yahweh will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem. In that day, this is the third time stated here in this chapter, will be mentioned once again in this verse. God will make each warrior fierce. The one who is feeble among them in that day shall be like David. Another simile. Feeble means stumble, staggering, totter, implying weakness. Lack of ability. David was a mighty warrior, valiant, strong, courageous, victorious, bad dude. That's how everyone will be in this battle. Supernaturally trusting God. Notice God will make Israel invincible. And the house of David shall be like God. The house of David refers to the remnant of Israel in the last days. The phrase shall be like God does not mean to be like the person of God, but rather invincible and victorious like God. The illustration that follows confirms this. Like the angel of the Lord before them, standing between them and their enemies. Invincible. A pre-incarnation appearance of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament, a Christophany, the angel of the Lord. When Joshua went out in Joshua 5.13, are you with us or with them? He says, I'm not for anybody. question is, are you for me? See, for you to say, well, I'm, with, I'm for God, that doesn't mean anything. Does God say he's for you? It all depends if you're born again, if you know Jesus Christ. Look at verse 9. God will utterly wipe out all who attack the city of Jerusalem. It shall be in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. In that day, here it is again. You tired of it? The fifth time it is stated to refer uh, to the end of the great tribulation. God doesn't want us to mistake in this. He doesn't want us to miss this. 
This is the summary statement of the battle. Jesus will destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. The word nations appears 17 times in the book. It's key. Jesus prophesied the two fulfillments about Jerusalem. 70 AD and this one right here in Luke 21, 20 through 24. You know, it will be just like when Haman attempted to destroy the Jews because of his hatred for Mordecai. And he, he built a gallows to hang him on. But he ended up getting hung on him himself. Wow. The fact that Israel exists as a nation and an ethnic group today, despite the 1900 years of persecution and being dispersed throughout the world, is a miracle of fulfilled prophecy in and of itself. Three times in Scripture, God says Israel is the apple of his eye. Deuteronomy 32, 10, Psalm 17, 8. And the third one in Zechariah, it says, For thus saith the Lord of hosts, He sent me after glory to the nations which plunder you. For he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. The apple. Someone goes like that to you, right? You protect it. You defend it. There's a present-day lie being perpetrated by professors in our universities, students and media, politicians and Christian leaders, the Arabs and Muslims, that the land belongs to the modern-day Palestinians because they are the original inhabitants and descendants of the promised land. Lie. And that the state of Israel has no right to exist. In fact, most of them believe Israel is the problem. And if they could only remove the problem, the world would be much better. If you don't believe that, walk into any university campus and start interviewing some students, ask them what they think of Israel, and then ask them what they think of the Palestinians. Try to collect some money for Israel on the campus and some for the Palestinians. They'll give you a racetrack around your eye for Israel and they'll give you money for the Palestinians. Wow. The concept of Palestine or the Palestinian people and the state was originally one, the so-called uh, Palestine, is um, a modern idea, invention, and a twisting of secular and biblical history. The land was given to Abraham. The land was called the land of Canaan. Listen, it's an everlasting possession. Genesis 17, 7 and 8, 1 Chronicles 16, 15 through 18. Everlasting possession is everlasting possession. Okay? It's called Canaan. God made his covenant promise to Isaac, the everlasting covenant again, and Ishmael was sent away by the command of God at the age of 14, arriving to the wilderness of Paran and settled in the Arabia Peninsula and took an Egyptian wife, Genesis 16, 19, and 21, 12, and 21. Now let's think this through. He's half Jew, he's, uh, he's uh, um, uh, Egyptian, then he takes an Egyptian wife. How do you get a Palestinian out of that? Duh. The land was promised to a people who were enslaved for 400 years in Egypt. When did it was an Arab in Egypt for 400 years? Or a Palestinian? Genesis 15:13. The children born to Keturah, all of them were sent away from the country to the east of Arabia to ensure that the land was promised to Isaac. Genesis 25:4 through 6. The origin of the term Palestine is not biblical. I've shared with you before, Joshua conquered the land and it remained the land of Canaan for 1,500 years. In A.D. 132, the Romans, having um, decimated Jerusalem in A.D. 70, began to rebuild it for the Roman Emperor Hadrian as a pagan city dedicated to himself and Jupiter. The Jews rebelled for the desecration of the Temple Mount under Simon Bar-Koba, whom they considered to be the Messiah, and you know the whole story of Masada and all that. And the revolt was successful at first, but Roman crushed the rebellion, destroying everything and killed about 500,000 Jews. The remainder were sold into slavery. Then in A.D. 135, the Romans, in their anger, renamed the land of Israel, Provincia Syria Palestinia, after Israel's ancient enemies, the Philistines, as an insult. The modern-day PLO, the Palestinian Liberation Organization, is an eye-opener. 
Islam came 500 years after the Roman renamed the land of Canaan to Palestine and no Arab would call himself a Palestinian. It was a term of insult and denigration. As late as 1950s, Arabs refused to be called Palestinians and declared that if there were such a people, they were Jews, their own words. To the British Peel Commission in 1937, a local Arab leader testified, and I'm quoting, there is no such country as Palestine. Palestine is a term the Zionists invented, which is wrong, but nevertheless, he admits there's no Palestine. Professor Philip Haiti, Arab historian, testified to an angle American Committee of Inquiry in 1946, and I'm quoting, There is no such thing as Palestine in history. Absolutely not. To the UN Security Council, May 31, 1956, Ahmoud Shakiria declared, quote, It is common knowledge that Palestine is nothing but southern Syria. Eight years later, in 1964, Shakira became the founding chairman of the PLO and coined the infamous slogan, quote, We'll drive the Jews into the sea, which has been repeated by the current Iranian president, Mahmoud Aminadinejad, and the Muslims who follow him. The PLO was founded in Cairo by President Nasser in Egypt in 1964, and Arafat became the chairman of the PLO in 1969. The best seller in Muslim countries. What book do you think it is? Mein Kampf in Arabic. Hitler's Nazi's book. Is there any connection here? Anti-Semitic? From the pit of hell. The Bible is clear, ladies and gentlemen, all who attempt to divide the land of Israel and wage war against Israel are incurring the wrath of God and will fight God. Listen to Psalm 125 too. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and ten years after. No, he says forever. Forever. I have said, watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem, they shall never hold their peace day and night. You who make mention of the Lord, do not keep silent and give him no rest till the establishment, until he makes Jerusalem a praise on the earth. That's the millennial kingdom. Isaiah 62, 6 and 7. Are you going to believe the fake truth or the real truth of God? That which is being distorted and indoctrinated to the American public. And you as a Christian should be ashamed if you believe all that. Rather than knowing your word, the Bible. This is God's intervention for Israel, ladies and gentlemen. Notice thirdly, God's conversion of Israel comes in 10 through 14. In verse 10, the prophet Zechariah revealed that the blindness of Israel will be removed. God will open the eyes of the Jewish remnant to recognize their Messiah. The one initiating this great event is God. And I will. There it is again. This is the seventh time this phrase, I will, is stated in the chapter. Verse 2, 3, 4, 6, 9, 10. What is it that we don't understand? The time is in that day. Verse 4, 6, 8, 9. The recipients of the point out are no one except the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the Jewish nation. You cannot apply it to anybody else. You cannot take, I will make them a, 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 a heavy stone and apply it right now. Now they're being persecuted, but the context is the end of the tribulation. Very important. This is the remnant of Israel. This is during the great siege of the city of Jerusalem. This is the tenth mention of Jerusalem in this chapter. There is one more in the next verse. Now, do you think this chapter has to do with Jerusalem? <laughs> yes, but when? At the end of the tribulation. The imparting is the gift of grace and supplication. The word pouring out means to shed or to gush out. This is the spirit of God to open the eyes of the lost sinners to see their need of salvation to repent is called illumination. God does that by His grace. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God, Romans ten seventeen. That's why it's important to preach the Word of God. Grace is unmerited favor. That means that the provisions of God is made through the atoning work of Jesus Christ and we come by grace through faith and not of ourselves, the gift of God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. 
Hebrews 10.29 speaks about it also. The future day notice of the conversion of the remnant is a major topic of the prophets. Joel 2, Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel 36, 37, 39, Amos 9, and many, many others. Let me give you some here. Jeremiah 31, 33. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord Yahweh. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. That's Israel. Jews. Not Gentile. Not the church. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Ezekiel 36, 26. So right now they're back in the land, but not back with God. God will pour out a spirit. Then they'll be with God at this time. Peter quoted Joel, as you know, uh, the short term in, in Acts 2, 30 through 31, where he says, uh, the prophet of Joel, the poor of the spirit upon all flesh, young men shall see dreams, visions, so on and so forth. And he went right on to speak of the sun turning uh, dark and the blood, uh, the moon blood and that great and awesome day of the Lord. And he quoted the entire first coming and second coming and never made a distinction. Short term, long term. But he didn't think it was all fulfilled. The book of Hebrews speaks about the day of the remnant of Israel, spiritual deliverance or salvation. Listen, I will put my laws in their mind and write them in their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Hebrews 8, 7 through 13 is quoting Jeremiah 31 and Joel 2 and many of the prophets. Wow, it's still future. They will see their past blindness towards Jesus the Messiah. Then they will look on me whom they have pierced. Wow. They will identify Jesus even as Thomas saw the prince on his hand and on his side from John 20, 25, 1934 to 37 while he was on the cross fulfilling Isaiah 53. They will be broken before God by a genuine heart and sorrowful grief. Listen, yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn, a horrible, painful grief, realizing, how could I? And there's no greater sorrow than to see your first child die, waiting so long for him or her. Hmm. The change from the first person to the third person shows a distinction between the Father and the Son, God here. So the Trinity is found throughout the Scriptures. Right now, Israel is ignorant concerning God's righteousness and now is seeking to establish their own righteousness, Paul says in Romans 10.3. And that day, their eyes will be opened. Blindness and parties happen to Israel until the fullness of the Gentile comes in. Wow. Look at verse 11 through 14. The prophet Zechariah revealed the repentance will be of all the remnant. Verse 11, the morning is compared to one occasion in their past history. In that day, there shall be a great morning in Jerusalem like the morning at Hadarimon in the plain of Megiddo. The particular day was when King Josiah was killed by Pharaoh Necho. And the entire nation lamented. And Jeremiah grieved horribly. 2 Kings 23, 29-30. 2 Chronicles 35, 23-27. Just like that day. Josiah was a great godly king. But he got a little headstrong, so he got killed. God told him not to go out. He got presumptuous. The morning, the corporate notice will be by individual repentance. Now, I do believe God saves entire families, but he saves them individually one at a time. He doesn't save in a package, okay? <laughs> yeah, be careful of that kind of theology, okay? First, the kingly line of David, verse 12. The family of David and the land shall mourn. Every family is by itself. The family of the house of David by itself. The women separate, as the Jewish uh, usually do. And their wives by themselves. And the sons of David, um, the family of the house of Nathan by itself. This is not Nathan the prophet in Luke 3.21, but the son of David. So you have the kingly line of David. And then you have, um, and the women by themselves. Then you have the priestly line in verse 13 of Levi. The family of Levi, the family of uh, the house of Levi by itself, and then the women separate by themselves. And the son of Levi, the family of Shemai, by itself, 
the son is Gershom in Numbers 3.18. The women separate by themselves. So he's got the kingly, the priestly. What's left? The people. The rest of the families. Verse 14. All the families remain, every family by itself, and their wives by themselves. Very orderly. Now what happens in chapter 13 is the consequence of their mourning repentance. They're born again. God sanctifies them, cleans up the land and everything else for the millennium. Wow. Some believe this may take place in the Feast of Tabernacles. Who knows? Listen to Isaiah 49, 13-16. This illustrates our point vividly. Sing, O heavens, be joyful, O earth, and break out in singing, O mountains. For the Lord has comforted His people and will have mercy on His afflicted. But Zion says, The Lord has forsaken me and my Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may may forget, yet I will not forget you. See, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Now, do you think God is through with Israel? (laughs) The nation of Israel is back in her land, but not back with God spiritually alive. This is still future, Ezekiel 37, twofold. First in the land, then the Spirit poured out. The next prophetic event is the attack of Israel by Russia, the confederacy of Islamic nations. At that same time, the rapture will take place because they will burn the weapons for seven years, Ezekiel 39.9. It didn't say they'll burn the weapon for seven years and one day, or six years and 359 days, whatever. Seven years. So they have to, the rapture and the attack of Israel by Russia has to happen at the same time, simultaneously. That begins the day of the Lord. Israel will make a seven-year covenant with the Antichrist, he will conquer through diplomacy with an arrow, with a bow with no arrows, riding a white horse, false peace, Daniel 9, 27, Revelation 6, 2. The middle of the tribulation, three and a half years, he will break the covenant, stop the sacrifice as he's built the temple. He'll walk into the temple, declare himself God, and not tolerate any worship of anybody but him. All will have to take his number. They cannot buy, you cannot sell, you cannot do anything. We're on our way there. You get new credit cards, new chips, new this, new that. There's little chip implants already being used. Um, you probably have one on Fido, you know. Um, so Daniel 11, Matthew 24, uh, 2 Thessalonians 2, 4, Revelation 11, 2, and many others give us all these things, this information. The remnant of Israel will flee to the city of Petra, we believe, in Isaiah 16.1 and Revelation 12.6. God will protect her for three and a half years. The prophet Zechariah tells us the remnant, it shall come to pass in that land that says the Lord, the two-thirds of it shall be cut off and die, but one-third shall be left. Zechariah 13.8. That means that two of three Jews will die under the hand of the Antichrist. If you look at the book of Revelation, from chapter 6 to 19, if you look at it all, uh, one time, um, one, one-third is wiped out of the population, then the next time, one-half. So probably 65 to 70% of the population of the earth will die. When the Lord comes back, there's only about 25%, 28% left of the world. Not to speak that the number of the people that have been taken out of the rapture. Wow. The Lord Jesus will return in the second coming with this church. And um, next, the next two chapters, chapter 14, Zechariah says he, his foot will stand on the Mount of Olives and split it in two. And water will gush out of the, from the throne, from the city of Jerusalem, one to the Dead Sea to give life and fishes there, the other one to the Mediterranean. And God, Jesus Christ, will establish the millennial kingdom. The topography will change. The new temple will fit there. It won't fit there right now. And this is what exactly um, Paul was talking about, and um, that the remnant of Israel will be saved, that the, the natural branch is grafted back in again, as he says in Romans eleven twenty two through 27, that blindness and part has happened in Israel until the fullness of the Gentile has come in. Listen to Joel 
Joel 3, 1 and 2, he says, For behold, in those days and at that time, when I bring back the captives of Judah and Jerusalem, I will also gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, and I will enter into judgment with them. And there, on account of my people, my people, what do you mean my people? The Jews, my heritage, Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations, they have also divided up my land. You do not touch the land of Israel. You do not divide into two states. You do not mess with it. What is it that we don't understand? Wow. This is God's conversion of Israel. Still in the future. But it will happen. This is a sneak preview. Zechariah has provided for us. About the siege of the city of Jerusalem at the second coming of the Messiah. Such details. So incredible. It consists of God's proclamation over Israel, God's intervention for Israel, and God's conversion of Israel. Do you believe God's word? I sure hope so. Examine like a Berean to make sure these things are so. If you come and listen and sit under me and you do not take notes and you do not do your homework on me, you are a candidate for deception. You better examine. You better do your own homework. You better ask questions or you will be deceived. Guaranteed. May God give us grace and wisdom to study, to believe, and not be moved from the word of God. Father, thank you for your grace, your love, and your goodness. We thank you. Pray for every person here and over the radio and, Lord, all over the world, whoever's listening. If you're out there and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, maybe you're somewhere in the world right now listening. Jesus Christ died for you. He became sin for you. He died in your place. He is the God-man, the one who loves you. And he rose from the dead. And he sits at the right hand of the Father. And if you will see yourself as a sinner by his grace, you can call upon him and ask him to forgive you. And he says he will forgive you and save you and make you a son or daughter by grace through faith. So whether you're here or over the radio or somewhere in the world, you're listening this is your prayer of repentance right now. Repenting, asking God to forgive you of your sins and asking Him to come into your life and to transform you. This is your prayer. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Baptize me with your Holy Spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.